Hello. Hello. You're listening to Track by Track with me, Dan. And me, Will. This is the podcast where you take a great pop music album and break it down, track by track. So, hey now, woo, look at that. On the turntable this week, it's Rio by Duran Duran. Now, for me, Will, I'm just going to get this out there from the off. I think, personally... Personally... This might be the most important album we've spoken about on Track by Track. Uh, That's a big... That's a big talk, actually, because we've talked about a lot of seminal, significant albums. Albums we love, cherished albums in pop culture as well. Why this one in particular? Well, it's no secret to the listeners that Duran Duran are my favourite band of all time. And even though I don't usually go for the public's favourite album as my favourite album from a band, I don't think. And certainly... I love every single Duran Duran album, but there's something about this. It's place in history, just the way these nine tracks work together. This is something very special. It's magic. And obviously, as I said, it's not just me. This is one of the most iconic albums of all time. I think I could quite comfortably say. I'm just very excited to go track by track through it this week, Will. Good. That's and it's it is a great album. Obviously, I am nowhere near as diehard a fan as you are, but I certainly am quite big. You got something in your eye, lovey. <laughs> and why? Uh, why this week? If you're listening at time of recording, so the reason we're talking about this album this week is because today, on day of episode release, this album turns forty. Ah, oh, it's nearly as old as I am. Ah. Oh. This would have been playing on the radio and on the television while you were sat in your uh, in your nappy on your play mat. Oh, thank you. Uh, no, I was waiting for something to come along then, and you you refrained. Well done. That's no. how important this. That's how important this episode is for you. No smuts this week on track by track. Well, maybe a little bit, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. So, who are Duran Duran? <laughs> I am going to say, because, I mean, obviously we've got a lot of big fans that listen to the podcast, but probably just as many people that are, are more are more casual. So Duran Duran, new wave group from Birmingham. Uh, they have been around since the early 1980s, uh, formed by Nick Rhodes and John Taylor. You've also got Roger Taylor, Andy Taylor and Simon Le Bon. Le Bon, Simon Le Bon. Le Bon. And we're still enjoying them uh, right up until now, really, aren't we? Because, you know, Future Pass is still very much in our consciousness. Oh, definitely, yeah. And of course, it was one of our albums of 2021. We did a track by track episode on that one. But also, I'm still playing those songs a lot. In fact, my top three most played songs of this year are all from the album. And just the other week when we were together... With our partners, uh, uh, we both ra- we both randomly started going, yeah, do 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 do, and no one said Duran Duran. We knew what it was. Yeah, didn't need the same thing. Very catchy, and of course that song called Anniversary, and today we're celebrating a very special anniversary. But also, of course, well, last year we celebrated 40 years of their debut album, uh, a monumental episode. Some people have said. Uh, it was pretty huge, wasn't it? With some fantastic contributions. And Dan, you really bigged up this episode. So could we be expecting anything today to happen? 
Well, I've, I've actually blown the budget, Will. So rather than getting in the likes of, you know, last time we had Errol Alkin and we had Nile Rodgers and the likes. Instead of that, I've brought myself a piece of pop memorabilia. Oh? I was on eBay a few months ago and I spotted the... Well, you remember the Rio video? Mm-hmm. And there's that lovely lady on a pink telephone. She's on the phone to Simon. I think his is yellow or blue. I've got that pink telephone. Oh, Dan. And if you clutch it tight enough, it might spring to life. I do hope. If I am going to plug it in, I've not plugged in a landline for a few years now. But I'm going to plug it in and we'll just have you hope checked, for the best. Have you checked? You've got a, uh, a dial tone. Let me is just. It purring. It's working. Uh, no, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, keep half an eye on uh, you clutching your uh, pink receiver. And I'm sure you'll clutch your pearls if uh, <laughs> if it rings. <laughs> Rio is the second studio album uh, from Duran Duran. It was released uh, on the worldwide on the 10th of May 1982 and was a huge, huge hit, as well as being a huge favourite with fans and casual listeners alike. Also, what I find fascinating about it is that this was released less than a year after their debut album. So, you know, they'd put out their first three singles. They were promoting those. They were touring. They were making the videos. But at the same time, they were writing and recording this. Uh, and within a few short months, they had written, recorded, uh, produced and put this album out. And actually, I said produced there. I should point out, actually, they didn't produce it themselves. This album was produced as the debut was by the late... Colin Thurston. So, Dan, with the sense of enormous anticipation, shall we put the first track on? Should we get the record on? Let's... Oh! It's working! Oh! Pick it up, pick it up! Oh, sorry, yes. It's my telephone voice now. Hello? No, that's not it. Hello? <laughs> hey, guys, it's Quentin here. Well... It's pop music journalist and podcaster Quentin Harrison. In fact, Quentin, while you're on the line, would you mind introducing the first song for us, please? So this next track really needs no introduction, but I'm going to do my best to try to share a few of my thoughts on why Rio continues to be such an amazing uh, pop song decades on from its inception. So anyone who knows me knows that I love Duran Duran. I'm particularly drawn to their lesser-known singles, deep cuts, b-sides, all those kind of things. However, an exception to this rule is Rio, because to me, probably more than any other song that Duran Duran has done, this composition captures everything about Duran Duran that I love. The artfulness, the intelligence, the sex appeal, the crackerjack musicianship, everything is here. All your I's are dotted, your T's are crossed. And it just really has, as much as it's a part of the decade that gave birth to it, the 1980s, I've found that the track is just as vital and fresh now as it was then. And I think that's the mark of a really great piece of music, you know, regardless of it being a pop song or not. I just think that it has something that has held up and it continues to pull in audiences and help sort of prime them for what they're going to get as they work their way through Duran Duran's broader catalog. Uh, and then, of course, you have the video, which is just fantastic. I was first exposed to Rio 
due to my parents. Um, at the time, I came to Duran Duran through the wedding album in 1993, but my parents had their best of decade. And so, of course, I got to hear all the classic hits that preceded the wedding album from the 1980s, and Rio was one of them. So pretty much for me, it was Love at First Listen. So what can you say? Again, it's Duran Duran, it's Rio. It doesn't get much better than that. Thank you, Quentin, uh, for surprising us on the telephone there and introducing the first track, Rio. One of their biggest, one of their most well-known. If you ask Johnny Commoner on the street outside Farm Foods to name a Duran Duran song, probably say Rio, wouldn't he? Yeah, this song is huge. And what I find fascinating about this being the opening track to the album is that if you go and see Duran Duran live now, this is most likely to be the last track of the show and rightfully so of course it's a huge closer it's got that wonderful instrumental as you said it's known by pretty much everyone so for anyone who might have been sat down for some of the concert and that's on their own back uh they can get up and dance to this one but it's fascinating to think at the time of course they had no idea how big it was going to be and how monumental this track would be and how well known it would be and here it is as an album opener and I always have, whenever I hear this song, uh, and the chorus in particular, the image in my head of the band statuesque-like on a massive yacht in the sun, uh, dressed impeccably well. Love their style. Actually, I love their style for the whole career, but particularly, maybe it's something about a lot of the fashion from the early 80s has come back around again. Actually, it's probably on its second time around since then. Yeah. But I just have this very specific image in my head whenever I hear this song. And it's exotic. It's the video. It's the boys. It's boats. It's sexy lady. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> Are you quite well? Gangnam Style. <laughs> Who was that? Which they did actually cover on the live lounge, didn't they, on Radio 1? Duran Duran? In my in a dream I had a few years ago. <laughs> I would absolutely love that. I mean, there were some obscure covers in the live lounges, but uh, Duran Duran doing Gangnam Style, I'd be up for that. And I love how this song opens as well, that really dramatic sound that just takes you into the track. What some people may not know is that sound was created by Rod's being thrown onto the strings of an open grand piano and then slowed down and played in reverse. Not a lot of people know that, Will. No, you've and you've definitely taken this episode seriously because you have done your research. I've done my research. In fact, I think I learned that many years ago there was a classic albums, uh, Duran Duran Rio DVD that I got for Christmas a good few years ago, played it to death. Um, but what I find fascinating as well, Will, is that when they were first touring this album back in 82, they had to perform that live, that part. <laughs> How did they do it? Turn back time, slowed things down, and always had a spare grand piano with them. That's the top tip. No, they didn't do it, of course. <laughs> they just they just used the sound. Of course they did. 
Don't be so silly. <laughs> oh, I was just trying to imagine how that might work, but you've just dashed it there. Dan, Sorry, have you ever been? Have you ever been to Rio de Janeiro? I haven't. No, have you? No, but have you been to the Rio Grande in Las Vegas? I haven't. Have you? No, me neither. Dan, have you been to the Rio Bingo Hall in Scarborough? I have. Have you? No. Oh, uh, it's wonderful. And have you ever drunk a can of Rio, the tropical soft drink? Probably at some point in my life, but I don't think it was a firm favourite. Have you? No, it's a poor man's lilt. <laughs> Imagine if this album and this track was called Lilt. Totally tropical taste. Hmm. Speaking of, so the reason that the track is called Rio and therefore the album is called Rio, the idea for that actually came from John Taylor. And it's because him and the rest of the band were fascinated with the idea of travel. And, you know, they're all from, I, I imagine, fairly humble backgrounds, maybe not all of them, not to lump them all in the same uh, group. But I think the idea of traveling and seeing the world was a big thing for all of them. And they felt that Rio kind of really summed up the idea of you know the carnival and the colours and the music and the party and the atmosphere and that's really what they wanted to to get across with this album and I think they do that pretty well on this opening track. Oh, totally. Uh, also, uh, title track is the first track on the album. That's a wonderful tick on the track by track checklist of album things that we like to see. Yeah, and they did it a few times with Notorious with Madazaland. And all you need is now. All you need is now. Uh, Which, of course, we've been trapped by track through. Uh, wonderful album. Uh, as is this. Uh, th- this wasn't, however, the first single. It was the fourth single to be released, wasn't it? Yes. So this was the fourth and final single from the album, released in November of 1982. I think what surprises me most about any of the chart positions from this album is that this peaked at number nine. What? I mean, I think if you had got this in a quiz, you'd probably say this was a number one hit, wouldn't you? Yeah, if you're writing a music pub quiz, it'd be a great misdirection to put in there, wouldn't it? But when it entered the charts at number 32, it was the highest new entry. Number one that week was Eddie Grant with I Don't Want to Dance. And then in December... Uh, five weeks later, when it peaked at number nine, number one was The Jam with Beat Surrender. So December 1982, this would have been at all the Christmas dues, wouldn't it? All right, and then for every subsequent year, right up to and including 2021. Absolutely. And covers, this has been covered multiple times, hasn't it? Uh, so many times by so many different artists. So with people like Nirvana... And Green Day, Fountains of Wayne. Uh, of course, they did it on Bloody Glee, didn't they? Um, uh, but also, most interesting, Nicole Scherzinger recorded it, uh, and she record, and it was then featured uh, for a Caress Brazilian body wash commercial. I completely forgot that was a thing, but I've just remembered about that now. But mainly because you just said it there and then quite a specialist body wash if you've got a uh, angry Brazilian. <laughs> and this song was inspired by a track called See Me, Repeat Me, which was a really early Duran Duran song pre-Simon Le Bon joining the band. So at the time, Andy Wickett was their front man. 
uh, and he came up with uh, the, the early track with the rest of the band. Uh, but as mentioned before, John Taylor brought the idea of Rio forward. Simon Le Bon worked on the lyrics. They all mucked down together to turn it into what it is today. And I just think that, you know, we talked about the debut album last year. It's a phenomenal album, but this, just as the intro to the album, doesn't just feel like the next step for Duran Duran. It feels like the next floor of the building. It's such a different sound. It's such a bigger sound when you compare it to Planet Earth or even Girls on Film. It's just they really have moved forward, moved on. Oh. Awfully inconvenient. Hang on, let me just uh, see who's there. Hello, Daniel and William. It's me, Robert, from Torn Stubbs Podcast. I'm in a payphone. Hopefully you can hear me. Oh, Dan, you'll never guess who it is. Who is it? It's our friend Robert from Torn Stubbs, the movie podcast. Yeah, he's in a payphone. Uh, and Robert, we'd love you, whilst we've got you, to introduce the next track. Sure thing. Here's track two, My Own Way. First of all, I just want to say I cannot believe Rio is 40 years old. That's mental. The album was like 15 years old when I first started listening to it. But it's endured because it's not only an important part of Duran Duran history, it's a seminal album, not just in British music, but in global popular culture. And I can remember buying a CD re-release in 2001 from the... HMV, no not the HMV, the Virgin Megastores that used to be in the Brent Cross Shopping Centre and it's it had a cardboard case but it was like a mini recreation of the original vinyl gatefold. I still have it and it's really cool and they should probably release more of their albums in that way. I've always considered Rio a bit of a summer album or to be specific a late end of summer album sort of late august evenings orange sky things getting a bit chilly because it's got a real sense of melancholy about it and i guess that's what duran duran do really well they have a pop sheen but with the kind of the dreamy dark undercurrent and rio as an album taps into that sensibility my own way absolutely fits this i love that john who let's be honest should be considered potentially the most underrated funk bass player ever he kicks the track open along with andy's heavy crunching guitars and nick gives them a kind of piano keys background you know like a bed to play on and this is a band that understands teamwork they give each other the space to shine but they don't showboat and they don't overshadow each other I love Roger's drums here. They're ticking along nicely and they're kind of funky, they're disco-y, but they've got that new wave slant. And I don't know what Simon is singing about, but he's having great fun with those ad-libs. When he says, I'm on the 45, I don't know if he's talking about a street in New York or is he on a bus? And from what I understand, the band don't particularly like the track very much. But it's not filler because there's no filler on this album. It's completely fat free. But the fun part for me is that extended instrumental section around the four minute mark. I'd be interested to see what they do with this live today. I think it'd be cool for them to do a medley of early deep cuts and put this in there. What do you guys think?
Oh, well, I think I think Robert might have run out of 20p pieces there. I heard the pips at the end. But we can tell him exactly what we think to that track. I love this song. I think it's the perfect next track from Rio because that one is so bold and has become so anthemic. But this almost takes your hand from the beach to the dance floor. Such a funky number. You're right. I love how much of a party this track is. And I was thinking while it was playing, 1982, obviously 40 years ago, but this is still something that would probably get people move, get people up and moving now because it is such a party. And it, I love the fact that, you know, their idea for the Rio album, this song totally fits in with that as well. And also after such an, a recognisable anthem, you're then track two, um, although it was a single, it's something completely different uh, that maybe not everyone knows quite as well. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, we'll come on to talk about how well it performed. But there were four singles from this album. You're right. This is the one that people probably don't know. It's also the one that's not included on the decade or the greatest compilation albums. And also the single version that was released of it came a good few months before the album. In fact, the single version wasn't part of the Rio album recording sessions. It was just kind of almost rushed out just a few months after Girls on Film to kind of ride on the success. So I have to say, I love the original as well. It's a completely different sound, very disco, lots of strings, very frantic energy. Um, In fact, I would have to say personally, I love both equally, but that single version would not have worked on the album. Uh, you're right, actually. And I think there are some lovely alternative versions there. Um, obviously, we've talked before about the night versions and how much of fa- a fan we fans or how much fans we are. Sorry, I just doesn't sound like English, but you know what I mean? <laughs> we like the night versions. Uh, but also they, there's a Brazilian version as well. They give themselves a Brazilian. <laughs> lovely. I promise that's the last time I make a joke like that. I... This episode. (laughs) (laughs) As Robert said as well, this one is very rarely performed live. Whereas if you go and see Duran Duran live, it's very likely you're going to hear Rio, Hungry Like the Wolf, Save a Prayer. Quite unlikely you'll hear this one, but they did perform it. I think 2006 was the last time this was part of the set list. And they did a medley of this with uh, the power station, Some Like It Hot. I would love to have heard that live, Will. Uh, well, I read as well that they're not huge fans of this. Yeah, I think that is true. Which, yeah, so even we should even be thankful that it was played as recently as that. You know, a big, a big, uh, generous gift for the fans there. But I wonder if they're just not fans because, you know, because of the two versions, maybe they felt it never was quite, you know, there was two very different versions of it. Maybe they never quite got the right version of it for themselves. Now, Dan, uh, this was a single, so please, please tell me now what the details were. So this was released in November of 1981, entered the charts at number 37, when it was the second highest new entry. Uh, The highest new entry was four more from Toya, from Toya Wilcox. And number one that week, Queen and David Bowie with Under Pressure. And in December of 81, this peaked at number 14, an incredible top 10 that week. Number one, The Human League with Don't You Want Me. 
Uh, number three, ABBA with One of Us. Number nine, Soft Cell with Bed Sitter. Of course, we've spoken about all of these. Bed uh, Number yeah. two, <laughs> Cliff Richard with Daddy's Home. Now, Will, you mentioned the Rio video earlier, and of course, all the videos from this era were incredible and mm. cinematic and iconic. Um, they were all directed by Russell Malkahi. Now, of course, all of the other videos, Rio, Hungry Like the Wolf, Save a Prayer, were filmed on location uh, in some very exotic places. But this one, this coming before the Rio album and sessions, uh, was filmed in a studio with Adrian Paul dressed as a matador. Now, Adrian would go on to star in Highlander, which was directed by Russell. Ah, well, he did such a good job. He did. You know, this is reminding me of that... to work with him again. ...pop-up video thing that used to get on MTV. Was it called pop-up video? Yeah. (laughs) It's like like the audio audio version of that. That's... Why don't we call it pop-up... The pop-up podcast. Put a pin in that. Pop-up pirate. And, of course, being a bit of a geek... Uh, last time I was in New York City, I did go to 45 between 6th and Broadway as Simon is singing at the end of the song to get a little selfie with a signpost. Ah, perhaps you'll post it on the socials when this episode comes out. Uh, perhaps I will. At the same time, I also went to where 7th Avenue meets Broadway in honour of Pet Shop Boys. New York City, City boy. Hi. Oh, oh. There it goes oh, again. again. I can't believe this. Let's trying to record a podcast here anyway hello hi there it's annie zaleski will it's music journalist and author of the new 33 and a third book on the rio album annie zaleski annie actually while we've got you would you mind introducing the next song please absolutely the next song is lonely in your nightmare so this is one of my favorite songs on rio and has long been one of my favorites even when i first heard the record geez many decades ago. Um, I think what I like most about it is just how, uh, you know, it, it captures a very specific kind of loneliness and melancholy. You know, the, the, the song is kind of about a character who is longing for somebody and longing for something and trying to convince someone, hey, you know, you know, don't be all so closed off. Let me in. I can help you. I can be a comfort for you. And, you know, which is quite sophisticated. You know, the the band was pretty young when they were writing Rio. And this is just a really kind of, a, you know, very thoughtful, sincere way of, you know, trying to show comfort to someone and trying to show support for someone. Musically as well, I just love the song. I think everything about it from the bass line, which is kind of, you know, it's, it's almost kind of like a warm blanket. It, it's so there, uh, you know, kind of in the background. Um, you know, Simon's lyrics and Simon's vocal, uh, you know, vocal delivery is very, very, um, you know, very empathetic and is very much, uh, you know, very kind of meditative. And of course, the synth work as well is just so, you know, it's so interesting and just so glacial and it really fits kind of the moody atmospheric vibe of the song. Um, what's so interesting to me is that this is a song that Duran Duran very rarely played live after the Rio era. You know, they played it in 2007, very notoriously, no, no pun intended, at a at a show. Um, but it's kind of one of their lost gems. You know, when when they played it back in the day, it was a little quicker than it was on the record, and it had a little more urgency. There was a little more kind of a breakdown at the end with Andy Taylor's guitar that was, um, you know, kind of added new nuances to the song. Um, but it's kind of, you know, it's kind of, you know, been kind of t- buried away or tucked away, like buried treasure almost. I think my other fun fact about the 
song is it does have a music video, which is one of their more obscure music videos in Duran Duran's catalog. It was on their video album from 1983. And what's cool about it is that at the very start of that mix, Simon Lebon is shown picking up a photograph that that looks very kind of old and dusty. And it's actually a still from the Planet Earth video. So he's, you know, several years down the line, picking up a still of of Planet Earth or picking up a still photograph that shows his band from a couple of years before. So it's very mysterious, which really kind of just fits the vibe of the song. Um, but it's it's a song I always go back to. It's a song I always listen to that I always find a lot, a lot of comfort when I listen to it. So thank you so much, Annie, uh, Annie Love, for for introducing that lonely in your nightmare. There, Dan. The I know the vocals and lyrics are fantastic, but I just love the production and the sound of this. It's got a more kind of low fly, low fly, low low fly zone in this. Are song, you flying though. low again? No, no. You always take great pleasure in telling me. Uh, or not till it's too late. Uh, no, lo-fi, almost slightly darker undercurrent running through this, but some wonderful synth work in it. Uh, I also like the title as well, "Lonely in Your Nightmare," because you can all we can all relate, can't we? Yeah, I love this one. I love how musically, musically, it's more laid back. It's kind of the breather, but technically, technically which we don't say very often, that could be partly because John on this one is playing a fretless bass. Insert shrug emoji here. Um, I was going to no. ask you I was going to ask you what one was, but clearly uh, not. It does, it's, it's a bass that's not worrying. It's not fretting about anything, I think. Um, but I love that because it, it, it changes the sound of the bass. It doesn't have that disco groove that the first two songs have. But even though it is more sparse, you've still got, and I think this is the case with every song on the album, and I think we'll say this a lot, but every one in the band gets their time to shine. You hear Andy's guitar, you hear Roger's drum beat, you hear Nick's keys, mention John's bass there, and then Simon's vocal and lyrics. It's pure poetry on this one, I think. And he did write poetry that became Duran Duran songs, as we mentioned on the debut album episode last year. But here, I think you really do hear that. Oh, that's nice. You love the poetic lyrics and I like the sounds and the production from coming together to make a whole appreciation mm. for the track. That's lovely. That's track by track. And there are some great live recordings of this one on uh, some of the early live albums that really do kind of capture the energy. Which means if you do, have you, have you heard it live? I don't think I have, to be honest. So I think that's the, this is the only song on here that I haven't heard live. No, sorry, I'm my own way. I'm a liar, sorry. <laughs> liar. But as Annie said, this wasn't a single, but it does have a video because they did a uh, Duran Duran video album, which was the videos from the first album, which included things like Nightboat, which weren't singles, um, and also the the videos you all know and love from this album, as well as things like Lonely and Your Nightmare. 
And people think Beyonce did the video album first, Will. Well, I think we're here to... I didn't know that, so I'm learning from you as well to smash the uh, preconceptions down. I mean, I suppose hers was a video album specifically about one album, but let's not get the details get in the way. Of a good story. Mm. Yeah. And also we a great album as well from Beyonce. Yeah, we loved it, didn't we? Mm. Get it. Go on, get it. Hi, Dan and Will. This is Morgan Richter. Oh, hello. Dan? Yeah? It's author, YouTuber, and uh, and Duran Analysis, Essays on the Duran Duran Experience writer. Oh, Morgan Richter. Hi, Morgan. Uh, now, while I've got you on the phone, we're doing this a lot today, very special day. Can you introduce the next track, please? Absolutely. Great. The next song is Hungry Like the Wolf, which I have always associated with coming of age in the 80s and beginning the process of finding out what kind of person I wanted to be. The Rio album came out in 1982, of course, but I first became aware of Duran Duran in 1983 when I was nine years old. Up until that point, my music tastes were entirely shaped by my parents' record collection. I grew up listening to The Beatles and Simon and Garfunkel and an awful lot of Broadway show tunes, all of which I loved. But in 1983, I started listening to the local pop music radio station in my hometown of Spokane, Washington. And Duran Duran, and specifically Hungry Like the Wolf, marked the first time I was aware of having some music in my life that I felt was important to me and defined my tastes in some way completely independent from my parents. Hungry Like the Wolf changed how I thought about music. I love that burst of laughter at the beginning, and I love Nick's bubbly synth line contrasting with Andy's guitars, and I love Simon's enigmatic lyrics. And of course there was that extremely cinematic music video directed by Russell Mulcahy, which was like a miniature version of Raiders of the Lost Ark, only a gajillion times more glamorous. The band members were, and are, so beautiful, and so charismatic, and so cosmopolitan. And seeing the five of them tearing around the streets and jungles of Sri Lanka with their designer suits and their fabulous hair and their phenomenal bone structure was a revelation for me. As a kid, I never ever got to see that video as many times as I wanted to. I'd catch glimpses of it while visiting friends whose parents had MTV, and every time it would crack open a doorway to the kind of sophisticated and exciting lifestyle I knew I'd want to lead when I became an adult. Now that I'm pushing 50, I'm still in pursuit of that level of effortless glamour and adventure. Because in Hungry Like the Wolf, Duran Duran made it all seem pretty irresistible. So hungry like the wolf there. I love how Morgan spoke there. And thank you, Morgan, by the way, for the introduction. Love how she spoke about coming of age in the 80s. Because I kind of do envy that. Obviously, I'm a huge Duran Duran fan. But I think it would have been so exciting at the time to hear these songs for the first time on the radio. To see the videos on MTV for the first time. And also, what a video this one is. It's like Raiders of the Lost Ark meets Miami Vice. Incredible, isn't it? And that is two very big pop culture references from the 80s as well. This song is timeless. And I think for me, it was one of the songs that I've heard first 
had discovered Duran Duran. And this was kind of way back when I was in- enjoying music for the first time back in the probably 90s, early 90s, mid to early 90s. And and it's kind of ra- everything wrapped up in this is just Duran Duran in a nutshell, isn't it? It's, you know, you have got... You've got the production, you've got the fantastic vocals and lyrics, you've got the do-do-do's. I love the do-do-do's. You know, you've got a bit of melancholy in there as well, which we always love. It's got a real beat and pace and urgency to it. Uh, And the title as well, Hungry Like the Wolf, it is so unique and has been much copied or tried to emulate over the years by various different groups you can hear different bits and pieces in it that other artists have tried to magpie-like take away and make their own. But nobody does it. Nobody does it better. And actually, I didn't really think about this when I was listening to the album today, kind of getting ready for this. But one of the standouts for me that kind of emulates it a little bit, and it's not obvious at all, but uh, Mystery Jets flash a hungry smile. As soon as I saw that song title, before I heard the song, I thought, you know, I saw Hungry I thought, is it is is there anything linked to it? And and you know there isn't really, but it's it's a huge poppy song, loads of synths in there. Um, so I think in the back of their minds, whether they knew it or not, they were inspired by Hunger at the Wolf. I'm telling them, Will, they were. <laughs> and it's just cemented its place in music history. This song, just I think, and what it did for the band as well, you know, was just. C- hugely catapulted them onto a much bigger well I got to number three on the billboard charts for goodness sake doesn't get any bigger than that does it no absolutely not also you know we mentioned the music video before which just encapsulates the adventure and the glamour and everything about that time but that video was recently named number three in the 100 greatest videos of the 80s so I think the song and the video come together to kind of really say something about how big Duran Duran... I was going to say were, but no, no. Slapped wrist. Ah. Ah. And I have to ask, now you've said it was number three, what were two and one positions? Oh, well, I haven't done that much research. (laughs) But I'm going to hesitate a guess at Michael Jackson Thriller and maybe Peter Gabriel Sledgehammer. But yeah, this is an undeniable... It's a Duran Duran classic. It's an 80s classic. It's a UK band classic. It's a worldwide known pop classic. But I have to say, and we've said this about a few songs recently on other episodes, I think kind of for that reason, it's not really a song that I ever go to when I'm in the mood for Duran Duran because I've just, it's very likely that I am going to hear it on the TV or on the radio. Um, You know, it's an incredible pop song. But for me, you know, there's a lot better on this album because you and I and probably a lot of the listeners know this album and the album tracks really well. So I already mentioned what it got to on the Billboard chart, but Dan, how did it do on this side of the pond? So this was released in May of 1982 as the second single from the album, but really the lead single um, ahead of the album's release. It entered the chart at number 35. A couple of new entries ahead of it from Iron Maiden with the number of the beast and also... ABC's The Look of Love, which was the highest new entry that week. And number one that week, A Little Piece by Nicole. N- any ideas? Couldn't even whistle it. No. You hum it and I'll play it. Well, we can't. 
and then it climbed the charts into the top 10, number eight, number six for two weeks, and then peaked at number five in June of 82. Number one that week, Charlene with I've Never Been to Me. Will, have you been to you? Yes. Oh, have you been to me? Well, yeah, I was there a couple of weeks ago, wasn't I? Oh, yeah, good point, actually. Uh, Also in the top 10 that week, ABC with The Look of Love, of course, and Soft Cell with Torch. And something else interesting that Morgan spoke about there, um, she talked about how there was always music in the house and from her parents' record collections, but Duran Duran was her band. And, you know, when she heard it on the radio and saw the video, she realised this was hers rather than her parents' band. Is there a band that you can think of that kind of first were your band? Oh, Dan, you always put me on the spot with these big questions. Just to prove to everyone that uh, it's not scripted. <laughs> Even the phone calls, they're all just happening. Uh, uh, nothing springs to mind, Dan, but um, sh- is there anything that you think of? Well, I, first of all, I thought it was quite interesting because in a way I did hear Duran Duran through my parents, but then they kind of became my band. I kind of stole them from my parents uh, and then kind of really got into them, of course. But probably I'd say Spice Girls. Mm, I thought you would. I thought you were going to say that. Yeah. Oh, hang on, Will. I'm ringing again. Send the uh, candidates in, please. Sorry, Lord Sugar, I think you've got the wrong number. <laughs> Embarrassing for him. Oh, here we go again. Probably him again. Here we go again. Come on. Hello. Hello, Dan. Hello, Will. This is Durandy calling in for Track by Track. I'm so excited. Will, it's Duran Duran collector, curator and archivist, Durandy. Durandy, I don't suppose you'd mind introducing the next song, would you please? Hold Back the Rain is a track that clearly stands out in Duran's canon of hits, if for no other reason than its incredible dynamic energy defying any attempt to stop a body from moving. From the explosive opening to the last delicious notes, this song highlights the recipe that dominates Dee Dee's hallmark. Roger's thundering drums working perfectly with John's distinctive bass grooves. It's a dream team of rhythm righteousness. I also love Hold Back the Rain because every band member's contribution can be heard and felt. Andy's punchy guitar riffs offer a perfect complement to Nick's relentless synths, while Simon's soaring vocals wrap themselves around the music for an intoxicating ride, carrying the listener through a thrilling audio experience. Every single time I hear this, I'm left breathless, reminded of why I'm devoted to this band. No one knows how to electrify an audience like Duran Duran, and no song exemplifies this better than Hold Back the Rain. So thanks, Durandi, for dialing in uh, with that introduction for the absolute banger, which is Hold Back the Rain. And I am obsessed by the guitar in this. It's just wonderful. It's one of those songs that just hits the round, ground running and then doesn't give up. Wonderful. Yeah, without a doubt. This is 
one of my favorite Duran Duran songs of all time. Certainly one of my favorite album tracks of all time. It's so explosive. I have to say, I think Duran D is the only person who could have given the song the enthusiasm it needed mm. with that introduction. But also he's so passionate and excited about Duran Duran. He makes me feel like a casual listener. He makes me feel like the kind of person that thinks the Taylors are all related. And, you know, I've just got the greatest album on CD from Asda sorry, for four ninety nine. Sorry, sorry. No. No, that was a dig at me. <laughs> no, uh, no, did you think that? What, until just now? <laughs> I think I'm going to have to hold my hands up on this one, Andy. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Drandy's a huge fan. He's got a collection of posters and memorabilia, which is just phenomenal. Uh, and two books, Beautiful Colours and The Music Between Us, which are stunning coffee table books. Uh, one of which I've got, the other of which I will be getting. But yes, the song, just just phenomenal. And again, it's the the magic that is these five musicians coming together. Five musicians coming together. Lovely. I, I think it's a great track because, you know, vinyl would have been the way to listen to this back in the day. It's a great track to end side A on as well, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Not going out with a whimper at all and in fact Andy said there on his introduction that this stands out in their canon of hits and that is so true because this wasn't a single but I think this is the single that got away I think that if they would have released this I think it would have been a huge hit and also the fact it's still played live uh, only on their last tour on the Paper Gods tour it was still played live that's how much of a, a track and how important it is to the band and to the fans much beloved and they clearly like it as well You'd think so. Oh, my phone's going off again, Dan, and I bet it's somebody uh, who just happens to like Duran Duran. Let's find out. Mm. Hi, this is Babs from Over Underrated. And this is Fran, also from Over Underrated. Oh, Oh, Dan, it's Fran and Babs for Over Underrated, the podcast. Uh, And I would love you both to have the honour and introduce the first track on side B of Rio. Cheers, guys. And the next song is... New Religion. I remember buying uh, the album Rio back in the mid-90s from a smelly second-hand shop for around 10p, taking it home and checking out the singles first. And it took a while to uh, get into my favourite song from the album. Here the boys prove that they can do more than just a three-minute single. It starts off with an Eastern Nick Rhodes keyboard motif followed by a sinister Andy Taylor guitar riff. And then it takes almost two and a half minutes before we get to an actual chorus. We have Simon duetting with himself with two interwoven lyrics. And I would probably say this is one of the most loved live songs from the album. But what are your thoughts, Babs? Probably my favourite song to feature an opening line with the word sauntering. Not your usual fare. And of course, John Taylor's bass is mega and groovy as ever. Well, this song is 
epic. Awful. And oh, epically <laughs> epic, yes. No, I'm joking. Epic. I'm joking, of course. Of course. The opening, the organ. This is the welcome into side B of Rio, which I have to say is probably my favourite second half of a record ever. And I know I'm doing a lot of my favourite of anything ever, but honestly, these four songs that we're about to talk through now are just chef's kiss. Oh, it's like the opening of like the second act of a show, isn't it? With a nice build up and back in. It's like you're already comfortable, aren't you? Because you've had a brilliant first half. And now this sets the scene really nicely then for the second. It's a bit more low, well, I'd say more mid-tempo, not as banging as some of the tracks on side A. But you soon get into it, don't you? Yeah. And rather than being kind of banging in kind of for the dance floor sense, this is... A little rockier as well, isn't it? The guitar on this, Andy Taylor's guitar, is stunning. And I have to say, I saw it live during the reunion tour. And I remember it being a wow moment. Because there was no guarantee that they'd do this song, of course. It wasn't a single. But one thing I distinctly remember, actually, from the DVD, is that they highlight, as the song starts to play, they highlight in the audience someone with a Nokia 3210 texting... I'm at Duran Duran, amazing, or something like that. It's just clicked, Will. It was you with your Nokia. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't know each other, but it was me, yeah. It was you. And you still got that same phone. Yeah, I refuse to upgrade. But you can't get Snake on the new ones, can you? And this one is subtitled A Dialogue Between the Ego and the Alter Ego. And obviously that's all about the lyrics, but also the way that Simon delivers them over the top of each other. I think this is one of the most dramatic mm. moments of their back catalogue. Almost feels, it's not it's not rapping, but the pace at which he's delivering it uh, feels that way. And I think it's great because you want to hear everything that's going on, but it's one of those tracks that, you know, you've got to kind of work for it and listen to each side. Uh, Dan, what can I hear in the background there? It's not, is it again? It's going, I've, I've, just, I've put it in a cupboard to try and ignore it because it's interrupting the... <laughs> but actually, it's been a nice surprise to hear from some friends old and new. I'm going to get it, Will, actually. Bear with me a second. Hello? Hey, Track by Track. This is David O. Oh, well, it's David, host of the D-Side podcast and the man behind the Duran fan account, Boys Make Noise. Actually, David, while you're here, I don't suppose you'd mind introducing the next song for us, would you please? No problem. The next song is Last Chance on the Stairway. This one has the task of getting noticed on side two of Rio while being sandwiched between the monumental songs of New Religion, Save a Prayer, and The Chauffeur. Until being included in the Red Carpet Massacre Tour's Electro set in an altered version, it had only been played live twice after 1982, but it has still managed to emerge as a definite fan favorite. With that evocative opening with those gentle sparkly scents then the lighting of the cigarette i'm drawn in immediately i remember thinking when i first heard this song i was probably 13 i remember thinking how incredibly british that guitar that comes in next seemed and british meant exotic and cool and last chance on the stairway has maybe not my all-time favorite duran duran lyric but definitely very high up there on that list funny it's just like a scene out of voltaire twisting out of sight because when all the curtains are pulled back, we'll turn and see the circles we've traced. That line fascinated me immediately and continues to do so to this day. 
I have a thing for underdogs, and after 40 years, Last Chance on the Stairway still feels a little bit like an underdog on Rio. But if someone asks me to play them a song that shows all parts of this band at their best at this time, I think Last Chance on the Stairway would be in first place for once. So last chance on the stairway there and big thank you to David, uh, who I think it's fair to say is a big Duran Duran fan uh, for introducing that one. Now, Dan, this you've certainly had quite a few of these over the years, haven't you? A last chance on the stairway. Yeah. And maybe a couple of lucky chances on a stairway as well. Uh, What a great mid-album track this is. It's very much in keeping with the party of the album. I've got to say, I love the synths on this one in particular. I mean, everything else is great, but the synths always stand out to me on this one. Just mesmerised by them. Yeah, wonderful synths from the off. They, I think David used the word twinkling, and they twinkle at the start, and it's that wonderful mm. moment of someone lighting a cigarette. But then I love how this track builds and grows as well, and then kind of slows down for the... Middle eight, there's the there's a marimba, a marimba being played. Will I thought it might have been a glockenspiel or a xylophone oh. at some point, but I've done my research. It's a marimba, and then that just flows into the guitar solo, and I think that really highlights the dynamic between Nick Rhodes and Andy Taylor. They are kind of polar opposites in terms of personality and in terms of music and in terms of style, but of course the gifts they brought to Duran Duran complement each other perfectly. Uh, what's a marimba, Dan? Uh, marimba is a uh, it's a percussion instrument, I believe. It's um, it's wooden, and it's the sound you can hear there. Dun, 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 dun. Mm. Oh no, it sounds nothing like that actually. Sounds like And two things David mentioned there, which really you know I have to mention again because they are so important. One. The lyrics in this one, and in fact, the the moment that David mentioned is the moment I would have mentioned. It's just pure poetry from Simon Le Bon there. But also he talked about the electro set from the Red Carpet Massacre tour. And this song featured as part of that. But if you didn't know about that, that was a section of the tour where the four members of the band, because Andy had left again by that point, uh, they all stood at the front of the stage in front of keyboards and synths, kind of very much like Kraftwerk. And they played a medley of some of their lesser played tracks. So there was this, All She Wants Is, I Don't Want Your Love and Skin Trade. But they also mixed it up with Kraftwerk's Showroom Dummies and Warm Leatherette, which was originally by The Normal, then covered a few years later by Grace Jones. But then much later, it was covered by Chicks on Speed, who I think are on the long list, aren't they? Yeah, we've talked about them before, yes. And it was also sampled by Richard X as well. And two things come to mind when I've just been going on about all of that, Will. One, I think all of the contributors from this episode would agree that we need either a, a video of that tour, of that electro set, or a studio version or something because it, it is just phenomenal. But also, 
Richard X and Duran Duran. Wouldn't that be absolutely <laughs> wonderful? <laughs> I knew you were going to say something about that because that would be... Why hasn't it happened already? That would be a match made in heaven. Just no brainer. It makes you think. Yeah. And of course, he, you know, he's sampled so many 80s tracks on his album, a lot of Human League. But, you know, it's just, yeah, it sounds like a match made in heaven. Oh, hang on, Dan. It's going off again. You... Oh, God, that's disgusting. Oh, it's that heavy breather again. I think he's probably <laughs> trying to get your number or get to you. Oh, so, so you had to experience that, actually. I don't know much more of this I can listen to. I just probably will listen a bit more, though. Anyway, I'll hang up. Okay, right, here's another, here's another incoming call. 4291. Hi, Dan. Hi, Will. It's Johnny California. Oh, Dan, it's BBC Two's Sound of the 80s producer, Johnny California. Oh, wow. Johnny, yeah. Johnny, we'd love you to introduce the next, the penultimate track on the album, please. Yes, of course. The next song on this brilliant album is Save a Prayer. Imagine being a Duran Duran fan back in April 82, snapping up Rio on that first week, that most stunning of album covers. Getting home, whacking it on, the quality just doesn't dip. Every song on this album is a sonic masterpiece. Imagine hearing that sequence of Rio to Last Chance on the Stairway for the first time, only for Duran Duran to take it up another level on the last two tracks. That mesmerising keyboard riff hooks you in from the off, and I don't have synesthesia, but you can instantly feel the heat coming off this one. It's almost like, you know those wavy heat lines you get on the horizon in movies? That riff is the equivalent of those, the sonic equivalent of those. The video, one of many Duran videos directed by Russell Mulcahy, who also directed Highlander as well, fact fans, was their second filmed in Sri Lanka and helps to turn up that heat. Never forget, Rio's trio of exotic videos really were a game changer at the time. It's super moody mostly, but I love the elephants spurting water over the boys, which makes it look like just a load of fun, really. It's very much look where we are, not look what we're doing. Isn't this pretty? Isn't this dramatic? Isn't this moody? It doesn't really mirror the lyrics, which are all about sex, clearly. Though at the time, I had no idea it was all about sex. It was one of those songs I'd belt out in the back of the car with my parents in the front, not batting an eyelid. Same happened with Madonna's Like a Virgin. Not a clue what I was singing about. Save a Prayer was released a good few months after the album and yet outperformed the two lead singles. And at the time, it became the band's biggest hit. It reached number two in the summer of 82. I would say this was the moment that Duran Duran really crossed over into the mainstream. And it was their first ballad single. This era is when I also noticed, I mean really noticed, Roger Taylor for the first time. Absolute swoon. Anyway, yes, they saved the best till last on Rio with this track, Save a Prayer, and the next one. Will, if I had a gun to my head and someone said to me, what is your favourite song of all time? I think it might be this. 
Wow. Wow. I just think it is absolutely stunning. It's heartbreaking. It's poetic. It's quite grandiose. It's the sound of the 80s when it was made, but also it's timeless. And as I've said so many times on this episode, you really do hear every single member. You hear, you can almost see them with their instruments in their hands. You know exactly what they're doing. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think... I, I, I love how much you love this song and I wouldn't say it's my favourite song ever but it is a iconic track that I just love. I think it's just beautifully done. Uh, it's not a full-on ballad, it's not a banger but it's got a wonderful uh, electronicist running through it um, but just the lyrics are just, they're grandiose, they're a bit camp but they're very soulful, very meaningful as well and I just, yeah, it's wonderful, isn't it? And the fact we get this as the penultimate track on the album is just a treat indeed. And yeah, you talked about the lyrics. I think the one that stands out for me is some people call it a one night stand, but we can call it paradise. Always been a standout Duran Duran lyric for me, that one. Not because I've got any personal attachment. <laughs> just, I thought that's what you used to say to your, uh, to your tricks when you're bringing them back. In fact, I wonder how many people have that as their bio on Tinder. Well, get your phone out, Dan. Let's have a look. No, never had that one. This was, uh, it was one of the singles. It was one of the, it's one of their big songs. Uh, this was the third single taken from the album. Uh, and it was a huge hit in the UK, wasn't it? It was just their, probably their biggest at the time. Yeah, it really was. So yeah, August 1982, a stunning summer I think I wasn't there, but I imagine this would have been a wonderful ballad to soundtrack that. And so it entered the charts at number 27. Only one new entry ahead of it, which was Soft Cell with What at number 13. What? And then it did eventually climb to number two. So as you said, it was their biggest hit to date. And it would have been a number one if it wasn't for that bloody Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. And Dan, when you said it was a lovely summer, is it because you're now researching what the weather was like when these songs came out, as well as what else was in the charts? Yeah, I'm checking the weather, I'm checking the news stories as well, and I'm just going to look at the shares and see what's going on with them. I want to paint a picture for the listeners. Not not those shares. (laughs) I think this is the most stunning of those videos that they filmed when they went out to... Sri Lanka and of course some wonderful moments with some elephants on this one. Oh, is that a reference to uh, Simon Lebon's speedo? <laughs> no. Poor Andy fell into a pool uh, which was basically the elephant's toilet and he ingested some of the fluid and got very very poorly and one of the elephants that Roger was on, um, a female elephant made a mating call so the elephant he was on went off to try and have his end away. Dan, I always wonder if on these like big episodes, how you're uh, going to get toilet talk into the podcast. And you've done it quite late in the game, but you've done it yeah. again this week. I kept with an appropriate with this story, actually. Yeah. yeah, there's still some more to come. And this one, I think, is a huge inspiration for many acts. It's been covered by Eagles of Death Metal. It's been sampled by U2 and it was referenced by Arctic Monkeys as well. And I was trying to think of, from the 90s, I remember a cover of this song, and I can't remember who did it. 
but it was what first attracted me to this song. And then I discovered, obviously, it was a cover and how brilliant the original was. But I can't remember what it was. Do you know, I do think there was, you know, around that time, you'd, I think it was early 2000s, maybe when I was getting into them, you would get a lot of kind of random, like Almighty releasing their own dance songs and things like that. Around that time, there was definitely a Save a Prayer dance version with a female singer, but no idea who or what. So, oh, it's ringing again, Will. I'm going to have to get it because we've got to finish this episode. One sec. <laughs> hello. Hello, hello. Track by track headquarters. This is Ian Wade. Oh, Will, you'll, you'll want to hear from him, actually. It's music journalist and the oracle of release dates. It's Ian Wadey Wade. I don't suppose you'd mind introducing the next song, would you please? No problem. The next track is The Chauffeur. I think The Chauffeur was where boys got into Duran Duran. Uh, whilst I don't want to be patronising or dismiss anyone's tastes, the success of the Duran Duran back then prim- was primarily female-led. Here was a band almost, ha, tailor-made to design to as big an audience as possible, and that clearly meant teenage girls. It wasn't the whole case, obviously as I know plenty of men who love and love them. But here was a band alongside Spandau Ballet, for instance, uh, where you'd have the drummer and keyboardist or just the bassist on the front cover of Smash Hits or something. Very equal opportunities for each member due to their swoonsomeness. I'd been a fan of Duran Duran on a single-by-single basis, maybe up until about the time of the reflex where I decided, actually, they're amazing. I'd like the designs, the typefaces, the different hair in every photo shoot and all that. And it was my friend Heidi who lived over the fence who was utterly nuts for them, like really obsessed. I recall being round hers once and she was playing the Rio album. And whilst I'd sort of known the singles and sort of, you know, was kind of getting into the other tracks, uh, when that last track came on, The Chauffeur, there was something in me that was like, oh, wow, I, I didn't expect that with it. And so I borrowed her copy of Rio to make a tape of. And in fact, actually, I think it's her copy I still have. Sorry, Heidi. The dimensions of the chauffeur remind me very much of Roxy Music in a way. Obviously a massive influence on the band. Um, You know, being 12, 13, 14, I didn't really know For Your Pleasure, but it gives me now a, a For Your Pleasure vibe that sort of moody, elegant futurism. Um, And as a final note, being somebody who was very into synths, um, I was always a cheerleader for Nick Rhodes. I mean, he's such a fantastic pop star. Amazing hair, arty, slightly pretentious, mates with Andy Warhol, all that. I absolutely love him. And I felt that the chauffeur was almost his showcase in a way. Both he and it sort of complement each other. I think it's an absolutely brilliant record. So the chauffeur there, and thank you, Ian, for the introduction. Thank you, everybody, for the introductions that weren't at all pre-planned, obviously. No. <clears throat> uh, this is a great way to end the album. It's something slightly different, something a bit more experimental, 
but I think it works. But Dan, I have to ask you, what is the story behind this track, The Chauffeur? So this is another one that started life as a poem from Simon Le Bon. And this is one of the first poems that Nick Rhodes saw in... Uh, Simon used to carry a book of poetry around with him. And this is one of the first ones that Nick saw and decided he wanted to turn into a song. And then I'm not quite sure of the reasons, but of course it didn't appear on the first album. And it's a weird one because the sound of this... I often think Rio is one of the most perfect albums created and one of the most cohesive albums. But actually, you know, this is a very different sound to everything else and is mm. more in keeping with the first album. So I, I actually don't know the decisions of why they waited to put it on this album. And I do think it works as a closer. But yeah, but it, it also stands out as well. And, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Well, no, it's, it's not a bad thing. It's nice. It's just stand out. But I just want to go back to your what you just said is this in your eyes one of the most perfect albums yeah for sure yeah i think partly and we've said this a few times recently nine tracks you know quality over quantity and of course their first three albums were all nine tracks um also just such strong well iconic singles but also such strong album tracks like this like hold back the rain like new religion I think it flows really nicely. Uh, just the whole package, even when we come to talk about the album artwork, which, spoiler, you know, we haven't had a chance to talk about yet. No, uh, I will come on to it in a second, actually, not because of this track, but just because we've reached the end of the album. Um, but yeah, I just think there's a reason why it's so successful, so well-known, so popular. Um, and, you know, obviously, us two are big Duran Duran fans. We think we know there's so much more than Rio to Duran Duran, but also there's a Rio, a Rio, a reason this album is so popular. And on the show for Will, as well as the, of course, this is very much a synth song, but you do get that wonderful ocarina outro, which uh, is played by Simon. And often when he's playing it live, he'll get his ocarina out. I bought an ocarina from my first Glastonbury in the hopes of learning that, that outro to that song. Never got there, of course. Didn't learn anything on it. No idea where it actually got to. But the bigger question is, when are we getting Duran Duran at Glastonbury? Oh, well, we're getting Pet Shop Boys this year, aren't we? So maybe next year, lads? Hopefully. Oh, it needs Please. to happen. They've headlined Isle of Wight. They've headlined Bestival. They're headlining uh, British Summertime Hyde Park this year. Come on, Michael and Emily. So it's not so much of a can't do it. It's just won't do it at the moment. Mm. Come on. Come on, Emily, love. Sort it out. And this one would sound phenomenal live. Of course, not a single, but as Ian said, then it's kind of one that's known by a lot of people anyway. It was for a lot of people, the introduction to Duran Duran as not just a uh, smash hits band, but also when they played this one during the reunion tour, it still sounds like the track we know and love. But when you get to hear the guitar on there and you get to hear the live drums on there as well, it becomes a different thing. Even better than the real thing. Real thing. Let me talk about the album artwork since you brought it up, actually. So, I mean, this is a fantastic, so familiar, iconic album cover. Fantastic art direction from and uh, design from Patrick Nagel. Uh, it's Duran Duran. It's Rio. There's a lovely lady on the front. I can only presume her name is Rio. And you could put this on a T-shirt on Boohoo.com now and it would be really really popular not just because it's Duran Duran but because this whole 
style is totally in at the moment. And the old, there's an alternative European cover as well, which is very similar, just in slightly different colours as well, isn't there? Yeah. Also, a huge move from the band to not appear on the album cover when they were posted pinups at this point, and it was only their second album. The single artwork is also wonderful. Uh, and it's just so 80s. It's fantastic. And just that whole vibe is really... Um, really back again and probably use similar sort of inspiration for some of our uh, artwork on social media at times. So uh, yeah, very, very nice. And it's just a wonderful cover for a wonderful album. Just simple as that. I've only got one gripe with this album cover. Do you remember I told you a few years ago, many years ago now actually, probably about 20 years ago, I was on uh, Six Decades on the Colin and Edith show on Radio 1 and this is it was a quiz show they were doing to celebrate six decades of Radio 1. And basically you answered questions on your favourite artist and you were up against someone else. And if you got more than them, then you went on to the next day. And it was winner stayed on, basically. And each day your questions got harder. Um, and I was, I got to day three. And one of the questions was who uh, who illustrated or who, who the Rio cover kind of who um, created that iconic image. And I didn't know the answer at the time, Will. Didn't and I bet you was. now Patrick's name is ingrained in your head. Yeah, absolutely. Because also, why didn't I research that? Because it's such an iconic image. Yeah. So the, I lost out on that third day to someone who was answering questions about stereophonics, I think. Now, I've got to say, uh, performance of this album, this got to number two in the UK's album chart, got to number six in the US, did very well across Europe as well. But I think... There's definitely, and it was extremely well-reviewed across the board, uh, so I would definitely say 9 out of 10 average. But I've got to say the bigger thing, the higher thing, is linked to what you said, Dan, about it being one of the best albums for you ever. Because when you look at the number of different media outlets that have put it on one of their best albums of the world, 100 greatest albums lists, it's like it's like a who's who of who knows what about music, when it's Q, when it's Enemy uh pitchfork radio 2 as well just it's just so much praise and so many people calling this out as one of those albums you need to hear one of the top albums of the all time of the of the 80s etc so totally fits with kind of you and how much so many people a lot of them have joined us today unexpectedly love the album and with good reason Oh, Daniel, like you drifted off there in a world of your own. No, no, I was just kind of... I was just bathing in the glow of this record. (laughs) So, further listening time. A couple of treats lined up, I think we have, haven't we? We talked about night version, so it's only right that we have one, I think. uh, Because they're a lovely uh, alternative uh, to the album tracks. So, here we go. Here is a bit of Hungry Like the Wolf night version.
Now, Dan, I'm sure I've said it before, but what I love about the night versions is you get the extra length, which regular listeners know we're big fans of, but mm. you also get, they juice it up. They turn the dial up to 11 while still keeping the song very present, very intact, all the elements that you like about it, but with some additional production, with some harder drums, uh, and just making it a bit more dance floor ready. And I think the Hungry Like the Wolf night version uh, of the ones available on this album is the one that really does it for me. Yeah, 100% agree. These were, of course, designed, these were created by from scratch by the band to be played in nightclubs. And I would love to be hearing it now, but also I would love to have been there in 1982 hearing this when it was brand new on the dance floor. If you were there, you're very lucky. Let us know at Track by Track UK. Let us know. One thing I do want to mention, well, before we get onto my choice, because it's quite relevant to Hunger at the Wolf, as well as some of the other tracks, uh, what's interesting about the album is that when it was released in America, they actually remixed some of the songs uh, to make them a little bit more radio-friendly and a little, little bit more in keeping with with what hits sounded like at the time. So you'll get it with Hungry Like the Wolf, with Hold Back the Rain and with Lonely in Your Nightmare as well. But um, slightly different. I think I prefer the UK versions because that's what I've known and loved. Um, but it's an interesting take on them. Dan, what have you gone for? So I have gone for the B-side to My Own Way. So I'm kind of rewinding to pre-Rio almost. This is Like an Angel. So Like an Angel, they're the B-side to My Own Way. What I love about this is that I think, whereas I said this single version of My Own Way really wouldn't have fitted on the Rio album, I think this is kind of the midway point between the two. It's not quite in keeping with that kind of, you know, very loose Rio carnival sound, that kind of tropical thing they've got going on. But there are moments, and I think in particular it's Andy's guitar that just the way that glides and certainly towards the mm. end of the song, it's uh, it feels like that part could have been at home on the album. But also, I just think it's, it's a great song. It's always been a favourite of mine. Um, <clears throat> Will, what do you think? Uh, I think I hadn't really heard this song. Well, I hadn't heard this song until I listened to it uh, after your suggestion. And I think I love how breezy it is, particularly the aforementioned guitar. Uh, and it's I love the fact that there are some B-sides uh, that went with this album. It wasn't just the album, some live versions, the night versions. There were also some other tracks available. And a few we haven't touched on today, actually. They're definitely worth checking out. Uh, but yeah, good choice, Dan. We're out, out of, of time. time. Oh, thank you for that, Dan. Wow. Very well. Well, thank you, Will. And thank you to all the contributors as well on the episode. Couldn't have done it without them. Uh, and if you have an opinion about Duran Duran, do let us know your thoughts on Rio at Track by Track UK. This is definitely one of those episodes where we have not had time to say everything about this album. So yeah, do let us know what you thought of the episode. But also, 
Is there anything glaring we missed? We do love to be brought up on those things, don't we, Will? We do. We are the first to admit that we, we're not experts. We can't absorb everything. And, you know, do let us know any more interesting facts and figures that you have to share. Don't forget, we're on Patreon. Uh, loads of exclusive stuff. Uh, premiere episodes you can hear first with new albums and the artists themselves. Episodes only available on Patreon and a whole series exclusive to Patreon. Further listening. Yes, and there's a Duran Duran episode of Further Listening waiting for you. We've chosen 10 of our favourite deep cuts. Is there something from the Rio album on there, Will? You'll have to listen to find out. Ah. Oh. Damn. Also, damn. if you haven't listened yet, damn, do check out our other Duran Duran episode. We went track by track through the debut last year. As mentioned, lots of special guests on that one, but we've also done Liberty, All You Need Is Now, Paper Gods, and Future Past. And there's plenty more to come. So, until next time, I've been Quentin. I've been Robert Gershenson. I've been Annie Zaleski. I've been Morgan. I have been Durandy. I've been Babs from Over Underrated. And I've been Fran, also from Over Underrated. I've been David O. I've been Johnny. I've been Ian Wade. I've been Dan. And I've been Will. Goodbye. Goodbye.